0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the cast iron podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you guys are just so kind. I love you all. Wow. I can't believe that we're already on episode three. It's such a humbling experience to think that a year ago, my whole entire purpose in life was, well, there really was no purpose. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my career. I didn't know exactly what I had to offer to the world. I just knew there was something there. And then, you know, as I said in the very first podcast, I decided that I wanted to take my talent to cooking and see where that can get me. Like, what's the next level from here? and fast forward to a year later i have a youtube channel a successful instagram and TikTok. i'm getting sponsorship deals all over and i have a podcast now that's just amazing and i just want to thank each and every one of you that supports me it's truly been an honor and a blessing and i just i can't wait to see where it goes from here but um you know enough about me let's get into
1: the meat of the podcast We're going to be making a Nashville hot chicken sandwich today and everything is going to be made with respect from the homemade brioche bun
0: to the Nashville hot chicken and the sauce. You don't want to miss out on that.
1: And I'm also excited for this podcast because joining me on the podcast is a very good friend of mine, someone who I honestly admire and respect. She's been killing it in Nashville, Tennessee with some of her culinary creations. Um, We'll be having
0: Chef Jessica Adams on the show, so you don't want to miss out on that. But anyway, let's get into the podcast and let's get started with marinating this chicken. You know, I've always been a sucker for a good chicken sandwich. And in this day and age, that seems to be what everybody and the mama is talking about. I mean, you got your fast food chains throwing jab at each other in this war of the chicken sandwiches and home cooks like myself giving their own take on it. But for me personally... I love to make the ingredients from home and from scratch. So today, I'm gonna be making my take on a southern staple and arguably one of my favorite chicken sandwiches, the Nashville Hot Chicken Sandwich. It's something about the spice, that elevated level of heat, and the undeniable crunch that makes it a must have. And I'm gonna do it the chef Pat Lee way with my very own house-made pickles and homemade brioche bread. But first, we need to get our buttermilk marinade made first. Now the reason why we're marinating this, marinating this rather, is to get the chicken nice and tender so you're getting maximum flavor with the tenderest piece of chicken. Plus when you coat it in flour, you're getting a nice little crunch out of it too. And we're using chicken dyes, which is the juiciest and honestly, the best part of the chicken. So I'm gonna start here with my already cleaned chicken. Just had it soaking in a bath of water vinegar and a little bit of lemon juice. Just going to go ahead and drain that excess water out. All right. Now you're going to want to use about 3 cups of buttermilk. Now, if you don't have buttermilk from the store already bought, that's perfectly fine. Just take 3 cups of whole milk and add about a cup to a cup and a half of equal parts of vinegar and lemon juice, anything in that sense that's acidic is going to help to create that buttermilk. And excuse my kid in the background, he's babbling, but, you know, this is a cooking show. We're doing this all authentic, so you'll be able to hear everything, the cooking, the noise in the background, it's all going to be there. Now, we're going to go ahead and pour our buttermilk over our chicken. now that we've got our chicken coated in the buttermilk, we're going to go ahead and season that that buttermilk. And we're going to season it with about two teaspoons of cayenne pepper, one teaspoon of garlic powder, going to add a nice generous pinch of kosher salt, going to rinse our hands really quick. Hands are nice and rinsed. I'm grinding some fresh, cracked black pepper. And then we're going to just mix that into the chicken and let that sit for about 24 hours. I would say the minimum you can set this is three hours. But as long as it at least sets for at least one or three hours, you're fine. But for maximum tenderness and a better crunch, let's do it for 24 hours. All right, so I'm just gonna transfer this chicken into a bigger bowl, which, you know, don't make that mistake that I did, but it'll be fine. All right, chicken is in the bigger bowl. Perfect. I'm just gonna take some plastic wrap we're gonna put this over our bowl and we're gonna cover it and we're gonna come back to this in 24 hours all right y'all so what I'm about to do is make my own brioche buns now this is a recipe that I make about once a week in my own home I don't buy hamburger buns anymore simply because I get my own unique freshness my own sweet taste from just making the buns of myself, and it's a simple recipe that you can make yourself. So the first thing that I like to do is what the French call mise en place, and that simply just means having everything in place. Um, when you're busy trying to multitask between working and cooking, you want to make sure that you have all of your ingredients kind of lined up already, you know, just to make sure that once you move from one step, you can move to the next in a speedy and timely manner. I mean, time it's, it's, it's essentially what time management is. So the first thing we're going to make is our tangzong. And the tangzong is a Japanese method of making your bread softer. And that simply just requires four tablespoons of whole milk, two tablespoons of cold water, and two tablespoons of bread flour. So as I get my pan nice and hot, I'm going to go ahead and add my two tablespoons of flour. All right. And then we're going to add our water. And then we add our milk. Now this cooks rather quickly. So I would advise to get a plastic spatula and just kind of stir it around as quickly as possible until you form a paste. And that paste should form about 30 or 60 seconds into your mix. And what this does is that it's going to help make your bread softer. It's going to add an extra element of sweetness to it and give you that perfect brioche taste from the comfort of your own home. Now, as that flour is starting to dissolve, you can see, well, I can see rather, that the dough is starting to form, get a little pasty here. Excuse my son in the background, but that's part of the cast iron podcast experience. You get to hear everything unedited and my home. All right, that paste looks like it's starting to form now. And just make sure that you don't have any lumps from the flower in there. Perfect. That is the perfect consistency that I want. Just a little bit more stirring, and then I'm just going to take this off the heat. Excellent. And I'm going to let that sit for a bit until I'm ready to just mix everything in together. All right. So the next thing that I want to do is get my yeast mixture ready. And simply what that incorporates is a half a cup of whole milk. Just going to put that in the microwave to heat up and you don't want it too heated up. You want to make sure you get it to at least a temperature of 95 degrees. So this is where it's essential to have a food thermometer just to make sure that you are checking for the accurate temperature so you don't mess your yeast up. And if you overheat the milk, that's perfectly fine because I've done it before. What I like to do is I'll simply just get a bowl with some ice and cold water and let the cup of milk just sit on top of that until it gets down to the desired 95 degree temperature. Let's check it now. It's at 85 degrees, so I'll keep that for about another um, eight seconds or so and then just keep periodically checking it. It's at 99 degrees right now. Oh, it's actually, no, 102. So I'm going to do exactly what I just told you guys that I'm going to do. I'm going to get a bowl. Look for a bowl. All right. I'm going to fill this bowl with some cold water and some ice and just let that sit on top for a bit until we get to our 95 degree temperature. Down to 100 degrees, and we're going to put it in that ice bath until it reaches the 95 degree temperature that I'm looking for, which shouldn't take that long. It's at 97 degrees now. Almost there. All right, perfect. So it's at 95 degrees now. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is put my packet of active dry yeast into the mixture of the milk. I'm going to stir that in, and I'm going to let it sit for about seven or eight minutes. I don't know if this helps. It's just something that I do personally, but I like to cover the yeast once it's all mixed in. Perfect. Just cover that and let it sit for about seven or eight minutes. Now, while that's sitting, we're going to go ahead and get our dry ingredients ready. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is I have my stand mixer already plugged in. And to that, I'm going to add my two and a half cups of bread flour. I'm going to add my one teaspoon of sea salt. And then two and a half tablespoons of granulated sugar. Okay. Now for about a minute, I'm going to let this mix on low just to get all those dry ingredients incorporated. All right, so seven minutes have passed and we're going to go ahead and start to mix everything together. So I'm going to go ahead and turn my stand mixer on medium and I'm going to add everything one at a time to let everything properly incorporate. So first I'm going to start with my one whole egg. And after that's properly mixed in, I'm going to add my one egg yolk. And then to that, I'm going to add the zone. As this is starting to mix, I'm going to have my oven on at its lowest temperature. I'm just going to cut it off for a few moments just to give my dough a proper warm environment to rise in. Alright, so once that Tang Zong is in and it starts to incorporate, you can go ahead and add your yeasty milk mixture. Yeasty milk mixture. Say that three times fast. All right, and then we're gonna add three tablespoons of softened butter into our mix. One tablespoon at a time. All right, we're adding the second teaspoon now. I'm sorry, tablespoon. Now what I like to do is as I add the tablespoons in, I'll cut the stand mixer off a bit and then I'll start to press the butter into my hands just to make sure that it gets properly incorporated and there aren't any wet spots in the dough. alright we right, I'm gonna go ahead and cut our stand mixer back on. To cut my oven off now. Cardi, want to say hi to my audience? My three year old loves to babble, loves to run around and jump, but as soon as you ask him to say something, he's quiet. I'll go back to the kitchen and he's going to start talking. That's fine. See? Right on cue. And I got my fiance in the background making us some coffee because it's midday, you need your coffee. Otherwise you're about to fall asleep. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and grease my bowl with just a drizzle of olive oil. This just prevents the dough from sticking. I'm gonna stop my sand mixer again and just do what I previous, previously mentioned. Just going to kinda of use your hands to work in that butter, kinda of help kind of help it deform a little bit. And it's okay if the dough is wet and sticky because that's part of the texture of your brioche bun. We don't want a dry bun because then, you know, who wants to eat a burger or a chicken sandwich and the bread is dry. That's what fast food restaurants want to do. We're not fast food restaurants. We're authentic home cooking here. All right, cutting back the stand mixer on. I'm gonna let this mix for about five or six more minutes. I'm really excited for this one because I've had my chicken marinated in my spicy buttermilk since yesterday. So it's going to get a nice proper 24-hour marinade. And then once it's dipped in that seasoned flour and then that natural hot sauce. I I got nothing to say about that, but it's definitely going to be a vibe in this house. may hear a little bit of water in the background. As I always say in the podcast, you don't want a messy kitchen, so clean as you go. Especially if you have a small-ass kitchen like mine, you definitely need to clean as you're going, otherwise, you're not going to have any space to move around or get your work done. Side note about dishes, you know what's funny, when you start washing dishes and people start to put more dishes in the sink, cough, cough, I'll decide later if I'm going to edit that in, probably not, just a little filler so I don't seem like I'm not talking on this podcast, but then again if I'm mentioning that then I might as well edit, like who else would I be talking to? I can't wait to post this picture too because the person that we're actually going to have on this podcast is from Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm going to ask her what she thinks about the Nashville Hot Chicken Sandwich because as someone who just discovered this sandwich, or rather this former chicken about three years ago, I want to know what her thoughts are. Does she think it's overrated? Does she think it's underrated? Me personally, I love a good chicken sandwich, but I feel that a lot of these companies out here... Are kind of overhyping it and they're not that great. Like I know I've been asked a lot what my favorite chicken sandwiches out there are and on record I'll go ahead and say Chick-fil-A and KFC. The Chick-fil-A sandwich is just perfect. I mean the chicken is nicely seasoned, spicy, it goes perfect with you know the bread and the cheese and pickles. KFC actually surprised me. Um... When I had the KFC chicken sandwich, I was under the impression that KFC, even though it's a chicken place, wouldn't compare to even Popeye's. And Popeye's sandwich, I feel was kind of overrated. From my experiences, they either miss out on the pickles, they miss out on the sauce. One time I actually ordered a fish sandwich from Popeye's and they gave me a chicken sandwich instead. And that chicken was dry. Real dry. (laughs) And if you know where that's from, bonus points for you. But, um, yeah, KFC surprised me. I mean, the chicken was nicely seasoned. The bun was toasted, which is something you rarely get in fast food restaurants. The sauce is on point. Right amount of pickles. I'd get it again. Actually, I have gotten it the second time, and it was good the second time, too, which is usually kind of tough for a lot of restaurants to keep that same consistency. But, yeah, going back to what I said, KFC and Chick-fil-A, best two fast food chicken sandwiches out there. They still don't compare to me, but, you know, they're they're good, they're good. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and check on my dough now. And from the looks of it, all of that butter has been incorporated into the dough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the dough that's there and just carefully take it off of this hook and it is perfectly okay if it sticks a little bit. Now you don't need to add any excess flour to your board or your countertop, but you're simply just going to want to roll the dough into a nice ball shape. I wet my hands just a little bit just to make sure that the dough didn't stick to my hands. All right, excellent, excellent. We got that dough into the nice bowl shape. And then what we're gonna do is place this dough into the greased bowl of olive oil. And I like to, well, first let me wash my hands. Always important to wash your hands and get Anything off your hands that you cook with, whether it be salmonella from cooking chicken, or you know, blood and juices from your meat, or in this case, the stickiness of the dough. And I'm gonna take some plastic wrap first, and I'm going to cover my bowl. Alright, so the plastic wrap is covering the bowl now. little one in the background is playing. And next, I'm going to get a towel. Now, what I like to do is get a damp towel. You know, you don't have to have it soaking in water, but just cover it just a bit in water. Put it in your microwave for about 10 seconds Right. And then after that, we're just going to cover our bowl with this, and we're gonna put it in that warm, slightly warmed oven. It's not hot to the point where it's going to cook anything. It's just nicely warm to create that warm environment. And we're gonna put it in the oven for about an hour to two hours, and then we'll come right back after that. All right, y'all. So it's been about an hour and a half, and as I can see here. And I wish you guys could see this, too. The dough has actually doubled in size. So what we're going to do now is get the buns prepared to proof. Now, we want to proof the buns because we want to be able to get the actual buns themselves to rise up and make that perfect bun shape. Now, the first thing that I'm going to go ahead and do is I'm going to just punch the dough in the center the kind of deflated a bit. Yeah. I know y'all can hear that. All right. Now the next thing that I'm going to do is that we're going to go ahead and actually get just a little bit of flour. We don't need too much. This is simply just to make sure that the dough doesn't stick too much. Yeah. We don't want to make sure that the dough doesn't stick too much to our surface. All right, I'm just going to sprinkle just a bit of flour, perfect, on our workstation. And then I'm going to take the dough out of the bowl. And we're just going to roll it up into another bowl. And that's perfect. Now, the next step is to get the same amount of dough for each bun, and we're going to make sure we have even pieces. So what I like to do is I like to get accuracy when it comes to my buns or my food in general. So I have a food scale. Ideally, what I like to do is to get my bun shape or rather the size of my buns to about 110 to 115 grams just to make sure that it's big enough to cover the chicken that I'm using. Okay, I'm gonna roll this dough and use a pastry cutter And I'm going to cut about six even pieces. Now I'm using my food scale to get an accurate measurement of each piece of dough. It's a little big, perfect. So I'm gonna do 110 gram size balls. And what you wanna do is the same way you rolled the bigger piece of dough into a ball, take your smaller pieces of dough and just roll it into a ball to where the dough kind of tucks underneath itself. And you can use your pinky to kind of do this to avoid it from sticking to your hands. All right. And then roll it into the appropriate ball shape. And they may not look as big right now, but once you proof it, they kind of double in size themselves. All right. And that's one. Now, remember, I said 110 grams, so we're going to make sure that each piece of dough has that exact amount. So that's dough ball number two, and again, nice rolls. Using your pinky to tuck everything underneath, and while you're tucking, you're rotating. You're tucking, rotate, tuck and rotate until you get that nice ball shape. And this prevents the dough from kind of rising incorrectly. I mean, I could be just making that part up, but yeah, you want to make sure that your dough is kind of tucked underneath itself and rolled into a nice ball. Alright? And give the dough well give the buns some kind of distance as you put them onto a um, baking sheet so when they rise they don't stick together or anything like that. This is a very good recipe, too. I use this recipe when I'm making my hamburgers, when I want to make a bacon, egg, and cheese, when I just want to eat a simple brioche bun. It comes in handy for a lot of um, recipes or just by itself. And the Tang Zhang technique is actually pretty cool because one thing I like about the technique is that it helps to soften the dough and give it that... Much-needed bit of sweetness. I know when I made breads before, it will come off as kind of tough. You know, like a traditional white bread or a wheat bread would come out. But this Teng method it gives it some softness. It gives it some sweetness. It gives it an additional depth of flavor. It's just perfect. Maybe on the next podcast or a future podcast, I might actually make a whole entire brioche loaf instead of the buns. You know, use that uh, cake pan and kind of do that, or bread pan rather. All right, I got ball number three going. We can go for four. And of course, you can do this visually. I prefer to have a food scale because I want to make sure that all the buns are equal in measurement. And, you know, it makes for a better aesthetic when you have all the buns at the same size. If you kind of have it where it's like one bun is super huge and one is small, yeah. It may be good, you know, to eat, of course, you know, they're all edible, but it's all about the visual aesthetic for me. Like with this show, you get the ASMR, you get the sounds, you get to hear the experience of me in the cooking in the kitchen. But I also have a YouTube channel, a TikTok, an Instagram, um, my Facebook page where I show my food. And I want to make sure that what you hear is what you see, you know, like everything kind of goes well together. All right. And it's okay if you're making the dough or making the buns rather, and once you get your initial set of six, there's some extra, you can always just make an additional bun. That bun is usually the bun that I have that I test out to taste, just to make sure that it came out the way I want it to come out. Because, you know, sometimes when you cook, you have that piece that you just want to taste or you put to the side to make sure that it came out right. So, for example, if I'm making chicken wings or if I make um, some type of sauce, I like to put some aside just to taste it, just to see if I need to add any more salt to it or kind of dial the salt down a bit with lemon. Or in the case of the bun, okay, well, there's nothing you can pretty much do. When you already make it, but do I need to add some butter to it? Is it something that I would be fine with putting on a sandwich, or would I have to add anything additional like some butter, maybe some olive oil, you know that type of thing? All right, we're working on ball number four, and this is just random, but I appreciate working from home, and this is a question that I get a lot from people. Because I, for those of you who don't know, I'm a manager at a call center, and this is my full-time job. But, you know, whenever I have my breaks throughout the day or when I'm on lunch, it's usually when I get to do a lot of my cooking and preparing. And then, of course, once I'm off the clock, I work in the kitchen and even sometimes, you know, before my day starts. And I don't know. I felt like it was nice to bring that up because I forget why. Oh. Yeah, because people always wonder, you know, just how do I manage to find the time to cook all these recipes to do, you know, what I'm doing with the Cast iron podcast, with the YouTube, the Instagram, the TikTok pages, the Facebook. This is just something I'm passionate about. Like, I've always been passionate about cooking from a young age. And now that I'm, you know, older now in my 30s, I find it to be relaxing. It's something that I genuinely enjoy doing. And to have a platform where I'm able to share that with everybody, it it really means a lot. So, you know, yeah, there are nights or days where, you know, I just want to, like, sit back and order some takeout or, you know, I want to sleep. And I, I do get my rest, don't get me wrong. But when you actually enjoy what you're doing and love what you do, it doesn't come across as work. So I do have long hours. I do have moments where... You know, the day kind of just gets lost with me, but, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I actually love doing it. And I hope you do, too. I hope you love what you're doing out there. And if you're not loving what you're doing, by all means, you know, find what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. Life's short. This pandemic has definitely taught me that you can't take things for granted. And whatever makes you happy, you got to do it. what's making me happy right now is just looking at these Brioche buns. I can't wait to finish these off with some nice melted butter, some sesame seeds. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Trust. All right, I'm working on my last bun now. All right, so all of the buns have been rolled up. And I have the test bun now, which is not really that big. It's about 54 grams as I put it on the scale. And again, this is just a test bun just for me to try it out and see how it comes out. That can go right in the middle because it's not that big. That's what she said. I know, I know. The joke is still funny to me. All right. All right. So next we are going to proof this and proofing takes the same amount of time, I would say, as it does to have your initial dough rise. What I'm going to do is I'm going to this is already on a parchment paper line baking sheet. I'm just going to take another baking sheet that's equal in size and I'm going to cover it to where it doesn't stick. And I'm going to put this back in the warm oven. And we're going to let this rise for about another hour. So we're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to put that, well, before we put the dough in the oven, we're going to go ahead and cover it in some egg wash and sesame seeds. And then we're going to cook the buns. And then we'll get back to the chicken. So stay tuned. We got the chicken. We got the buns. We got that great natural hot chicken coming. And that's going to be in the cast iron podcast. We'll be right back. Alright, so our
1: buns have finished proofing. So I'm gonna go ahead and take them out of the warm oven. Well, oh, it's not warm anymore. It was just set for warm to just to make sure they rise. And the buns have also doubled the size. So, what I'm gonna go ahead and do is simply going to make a nice little egg wash for these. And then top them with sesame seeds. Just going to the Perfect. I'm gonna go ahead and preheat my oven to 375 degrees, and I'm gonna cook these buns once the oven is preheated at 18 minutes or until they're at least perfectly golden brown. I can never find in my kitchen. I say this almost every day. I go, oh, let me put the sesame seeds in a spot that I'll remember. And I'm like, got it, on top of it. And then what happens every time? I'm not on top of it. I cannot wait to get a house. This apartment's way too small. What you got? Even if it ain't much, Man, y'all not gonna believe this shit. So, I don't have any more sesame seeds. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. We improvise here. But it's funny, because it's like I always say, you know, you get everything in Benson with the Cast Iron Podcast, so sometimes I may run out of ingredients. So, what I'll go ahead and do is, instead of instead of using sesame seeds, I'm going to use everything but the bagel seasoning. I mean, I really use both. Whenever I make my buns, I use sesame seeds and I use everything but the bagel seasoning. But, you know, just having one works by itself, that's perfectly fine. This is just to give it an additional layer of texture and also for the aesthetic. So what I'm going to go ahead and do now is I'm going to make my egg wash which is simply just a whole egg with a splash or two of milk or water. I try to put a little bit of both, so I'll put just a splash of water there. in my egg. Then, I'll put a little bit of milk.
0: You know, just a touch, nothing too crazy. There we go.
1: And now, I have my egg wash. So I'm gonna go ahead and take my brush. Gently place this egg wash on top of each bun. What I like to do is I'll coat it once with the egg wash for each bun. Can't forget the test bun here, that's for me to try out aside from my standard six. So yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and baste this once with the egg wash. And then once it gets, it gets its initial baste, it's
0: gonna take this, everything but the bagel seasoning and place that on top of your buns. And don't be shy, be generous with the pouring of the everything but the bagel seasoning. Cause once this starts to cook, you really want to see that on
1: top of the bun. Let's get this last one
0: fantastic and the good thing about everything but the bagel seasoning is it has sesame seeds and salt in it so
1: even if i didn't have my sesame seeds like i originally wanted for an additional texture everything but the bagel seasoning works all right so we're going to go ahead and take some more egg wash now that we put our everything but the bagel seasoning on our buns
0: And just top it off a little bit as well and your buns are going to come out beautifully golden brown but this helps with the element of toasting the sesame seeds well sorry the everything but the bagel seeds
1: all right and then we're going to put this in the oven for 18 minutes Sorry, I got my son in the kitchen. He's a little curious one. Now we're not opening
0: the freezer. Close the freezer. Thank you. Excuse me.
1: All right, now while our buns are in the oven and my co star here continues making noise, I'm going to go ahead and get the chicken ready. All right, so I put my chicken to the side, let it sit for about 10 15 minutes. Just to let that seasoning and that flour dredge kind of, you know, soak in it. I'm gonna go ahead and cut my burner on my cast iron pan. And then I'm going to fill my cast iron pan with some oil. And you can use any kind of oil you prefer. I like to use canola oil or even grapeseed or avocado oil because it has a high smoke point. And you're guaranteed to have your chicken cooked perfectly without burning on the the coating. Now there's gonna be a two-step process to cooking this chicken. I'm gonna get the temperature up to 300 degrees. I'm going to let it fry for about seven to eight minutes because I have thighs and then I'll take it out, raise the temperature to 350 degrees and then cook it for about six minutes or until it reaches the internal temperature of 165 degrees.
0: All right. So that ends
1: the cooking portion of this episode. We're going to continue it on in episode four of the podcast. But right now we're going to get into our interview with Chef Jessica Adams. Take it away. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode three of the Cast Iron
0: Podcast with yours truly, Chef Pat Lee. And let me tell you all, this is a big moment for the podcast for many reasons. Um, one, this is the first featured interview on the podcast. So we're starting off by making some history already. Also, my first featured guest is not only killing it in the catering and culinary world, but undoubtedly no one is touching her in cake decorating. Let me tell you all, some of the designs that I've seen her make makes me wish I was closer just so I can witness the magic happen. She is the founder and owner of Beyond Desserts Catering, located in Nashville, Tennessee. Folks, please give a warm welcome to the one, the only, Miss Jessica Adams.
2: Wow. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, It's definitely a pleasure to be a part of such an amazing platform.
0: Glad to have you on board, and thank you so much for being the first guest on the Cast Iron Podcast. And again, I got to tell you that it's just an honor to have you on this show. As someone who's been trying to build themselves in such a competitive space, um, I must say that it's been helpful for you to provide tips and pointers and just the support and love in general you show to people is just truly amazing. So thank you so much for that.
2: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it's a pleasure to be able to share some of the things that you've picked up over the years with Uh, your fellow culinarians but also people that look like you it's very important that we make sure to uplift each other and and share knowledge and and boost and support each other as we all go along this journey I mean we can't do it alone
0: I definitely do agree with you and thank you so much for that now for those out there who may not know who you are um would you mind just stating your name again where you're from and just tell us a little bit about yourself
2: Yes. My name is uh, Jessica Adams. Okay. Um, So I am a classically trained chef. Um, I um, received my culinary degree several years ago. I don't want to age myself, but um, I am classically trained. Um, However, um, I took a different path when I graduated from culinary school and I chose the hospitality route as I was already already involved in the hospitality world. Um, I was you know, working in banquets for quite a while before I decided to pursue my culinary um, degree. So it was a natural step to step back into hospitality. Um, so throughout the years, I've kind of dabbled with both. I've done my catering and my cakes and developed that following kind of on the side as I developed my my uh, hospitality career. Um, and I did that for eighteen years. So now I'm. Um, because of COVID, I was able to kind of jump head first into, um, getting my business started and getting my business to the place that it is now. Um, um, so it, it's definitely been a blessing. COVID has been, you know, of course, um, it, it's caused a lot of downfalls for a lot of people, but for, for my family, it has truly been a blessing because it caused me to step out on faith. And really take something that I was passionate about and, and really hone it in and, and hone my skills and, and develop it into something that um, really could change the future for my family.
0: And I definitely agree with you and feel that, you know, speaking from my experience as well, um, COVID really kind of was a wake up call for a lot of people to kind of follow their own path and dreams <laughs> and just Absolutely. not want to work for anyone else and kind of do your own thing.
1: So mm-hmm.
0: aside from COVID, what would you say was the deciding factor in you just saying, you know what, I want to make my dreams happen. I want to step out of my comfort zone and make this catering business what it is now.
2: So the funny thing is, I, you know, from the day that I started culinary school, I, I knew that I wanted to have a catering business. Um, I didn't really have a passion for restaurants, um, and that's not a path that I've ever wanted to take. Um, so I knew that it was going to be something around catering. Um, the cakes and the desserts kind of came by mistake. Um, I really didn't enjoy cake decorating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had I, I love baking. I absolutely love baking. It's the decorating part that kind of gives me the blues. But um, that's what I was getting requests for. You know, I'm like, hey, guys, I, I cater, I cook. And everyone was asking for my cakes. And that's for for a long time. That's all I was doing was cakes, um, custom cakes. Um, And, you know, of course, life happens. I had my daughter um, and had to take a step back from it. But it was like, okay, I'm nurturing this this baby that I birthed, but I'm not nurturing my other baby. Right. right. And, um, you know, it was several things throughout that time frame that was pushing me into that direction. Um, and I've had a couple ventures that I tried that didn't quite work. Um, but ultimately, it was that that being being laid off from a job that I've done for so long and kind of looking at, you know, I still have bills to pay. I, I got to figure something out. It was that that push that really got me. To where it's like, okay, it's time. It, you've you've played around with this for for too long. <laughs> my dad always um, gives me the the story about the Israelites and um, walking, taking a forty day um, walk, um, mm-hmm. and turning into four, you know, four. Was it forty years? Four years. I need to brush up on my Bible history. But yeah, same um, here. <laughs> but he he does he mentions that to me, he would mention that to me often, because he's like, you have what it takes, you just need to quit being fearful, and take that step, and it was like, that, 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 that talk would always rewind, you know, replay itself in my head, and finally, it was just like, this is the time, like, there's no other time, this is the time, and if it doesn't work, you know, you always have a backup, but this is the time to really give it a shot and see if it if it works. And of course, I was fearful just because we're in COVID. It's so like, OK, you know, who's ordering custom cakes? Who's getting catering? And to my surprise, it was a lot of people. <laughs> so um, it, it, it really went from zero to 100, like really quick. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my story, um, kind of how I got to this point um there's still a lot of learning curves that come with um you know owning and operating a business full-time um there's a lot of things you don't know when you're doing um when you're doing it kind of as a side hustle it you always have that backup like okay well if this doesn't work I still have my full-time job there is no backup when this is your this is this is your your only thing um, but you, it makes you work harder. It makes you, you know, it makes you put more into it because you know that this is, this is your brand and this is, this represents you and, and your craft.
0: So. And that's interesting, an interesting take on it. And one of the things that I actually just discovered about you now was that I had no idea that the cake decorating part of your business was done on accident. Like when I first got to know you, yeah. I knew you because of the specialty cakes, And it just makes me think now, if that's something that you did on accident, like, what are you capable of doing when, you know, you do something that you intended on doing? So that just means, in my opinion, you know, the world is yours in terms of cooking. Like, there's no telling what you could possibly do. And I'm pretty sure that people know you for your catering, your specialty cake, your specialty desserts. I mean, you seem to do it all. But um, out of all those things, what would you say is your favorite thing to do?
2: That's a tricky question. I get asked that a lot and I guess I'm different in the sense that like the kitchen is my center, like cooking really, it, 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 it changes my mood. If I'm in a bad mood, I, you know, I'm typically, you know, it brightens me up. If I'm struggling with a problem, a lot of times I can solve that problem. If I go in the kitchen and create something, um, so it's not really a favorite dish that I have. I cook on moves. So like, like this season, I may have a taste for balsamic. Like this, that's like the theme right now. And everything that I do, I'm trying to find a way to incorporate balsamic in, in my dishes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I say it's more like I don't have a particular fate, like a particular favorite. However, I do. Like to just whatever my mood is, I try to create around that. If that makes any sense. No, no, that, um, that does make sense. So I had a a thing with sweet potatoes. Like if if I had a favorite dish, it probably would be my sweet potato pie, um, and that's just be kind of kind of because of the history of it. It started off with one of my great grandmother's recipes, and I kind of transformed it into my own. Mm-hmm. But the base of it started with her recipe. Um, but other than that, I really just kind of cook to moods and, and tastes. So if there's a particular thing that I have a taste for, I will make a million recipes with that one ingredient and and then move on to the next ingredient. So I guess it's more mood-based than anything.
0: Now, what gets you into your zone when it comes to cooking or baking? Like for me personally... I like to be alone in my kitchen. I have my music playing, you know, old school R and B get myself in the mood. And then I feel like I can be creative and express myself in the kitchen. But are there any techniques or anything that you do specifically to kind of get you in your zone?
2: Um, not in particular. Um, I do like a quiet space a lot of times. Um, and if I do turn on music or, or, uh, my, my husband and my brother set up a TV in the kitchen for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of white noise than anything. I prefer to just kind of be in the, ki- at one in the kitchen, just by myself, quiet. Um, I don't like a lot of people around me. And when I'm in the kitchen, especially when I'm, if I'm creating, like, you know, if I'm just making dinner, that's one thing. But if I have a recipe that's in my head, if, I have to get it out. Like if I have a concept in my head, I have to get it out. And when I have those moments, like I have to be there by myself and it has to be quiet. And it's almost like a lab type situation. Um, But again, I think that's just because I have a different type of relationship with being in the kitchen. Like that is, that's my special place.
0: Now, the culinary world, like any business out there, does come with its own set of obstacles. And mm-hmm. as an experienced and decorated chef, were there any significant obstacles that you had to overcome in your career? And if so, how were you able to manage it?
2: Um, my biggest obstacle, and I, you know, even now, um, I would say is the, the time management portion of it. Um, you know, it's, it's very important to time your dishes the right way. You know, if, especially when you're cooking, like catering and meals and things like that, you want everything to be fresh and hot and served at the same time, which means that your timing has to be right. Um, that goes into play when you're doing like private catering and things like that. Um, And just really understanding how to properly manage my books now that I'm doing it more full time and making sure that I think the biggest obstacle is that creating self, you know, time for yourself and your family. Because it's like once you when you get a little bit of hype behind you, everybody wants to do business with you. Right. And you have to determine when that cutoff is. Because, you know, if you're just chasing money, you kind of lose yourself in that. Um, So I would say that's probably the biggest obstacle, that time management piece, as well as making sure to carve out the right amount of time for self and family.
0: As you should. And if there's one thing I can definitely say is, you know, business will always come and go, but family always comes first. And that's definitely one thing that this pandemic has definitely taught me is to keep your family close um, That's right. And you seem like you have a very, very close relationship with your family and a very strong support system. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're, you're fine, you're fine. Um, And you kind of said that, you know, you do a lot for your business. Um, Are you doing it all by yourself? Do you have anybody to support you in certain aspects, like with finances or time management or just, you know, helping with doing things like getting you groceries and things for your recipes?
2: Um. So I do the bulk of the work. However, my husband plays a huge part in just that support factor. He does a lot of deliveries for me. Um, He does help with some recipes. Um, You know, for me, I try to limit how much I'm in the store. So I do a lot of grocery pickup and a lot of grocery delivery. Um, But for the most part like that, that clutch person. If I, if I had to name one clutch person, it would be my, my husband. I mean, he is always there in the clutch, like, okay, you know, he'll call me when he gets off work. Is there anything you need? Do I need to stop anywhere? Um, and he's really been that support system that I needed to, um, take things to the next level. Um, you, you know, I, I, I would never take full credit for myself because for one, I know that God has really put me in a position to be where I am. I know that it took a lot of time for me to get here. Um, but God really positioned me in a place to where things could happen rapidly. But in addition to that, God sent me a person that will, that supports my dreams and, and believes in my dreams as much as I do so if there was that one person that I could say really helps me it would be my husband um outside of that a lot of the things that I do I do on my own
0: that's definitely beautiful to hear and I wish you both the best of luck in many many years of health and happiness to you that's that's awesome i love to hear it you. you're welcome you. now um I'm pretty sure you've gotten some outlandish requests for cakes. Um, what would you say has been the weirdest request for a cake that's made?
2: Um, and this, you know, I've kind of stepped away from doing a lot of like over-the-top carved cakes. Um, I was doing that years ago. Um, I will say probably the most outrageous cake was probably um, a novelty cake for a bachelorette party. So, you know, I don't know your audience. So I don't want to just, just blurt it out, but you kind of get the drift of where I'm going. So the details on that was pretty, (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty detailed. So um, that's probably the most um, outrageous request, but um, luckily I, most of the requests that I get, um, they're, they're pretty streamlined. They're not, you know, just crazy over the top five tiered, you know anything like that so uh i've kind of been blessed in that sense um but i do know that when i first started decorating because it wasn't my strong Mm suit it was so many things that i was like "Uh, i don't know if i want to do that kind of cake (laughs) you know so i probably shied away from some of the more um outrageous cakes
0: Let's hope no one asks you for anything strange. And this is kind of, I wouldn't say this is a family show, but yeah, you can say whatever you want on this show. I, 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 okay. I, don't have, I don't have a filter.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't want to just, you know, blurt it out there. Like, uh.
0: Now you're good. You're good. Now, um, social media has kind of been a platform for a lot of influencers to boost their skills and to showcase their talents. And I noticed in a lot of recent years, a lot of home cooks and aspiring chefs, have used it as a way to bring their brands into the mainstream. Um, how mm-hmm. do you feel that social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, or any other social media platform has helped your brand to become what it is?
2: Um, I will say for me, um, that's where I do most of my marketing. Um, even though, you know, if, you know, you ask the question about help, that would probably be the the area that I need the most help in. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, The majority of my business comes from social media. Um, it is a great platform to use for one. It's a free platform. Um, but it gets you exposure extremely quick. Um, so it's, it's definitely helped boost my business. Um, as well as a lot of others. Um, but I do see that, you know, is, is sometimes it can be a gift and a curse. Because just like I have access, everyone has access. Um, so although there's a influx and, you know, visibility for yourself, um, there's also that thing in the market where, you know, the markets are becoming a little bit oversaturated. So if you only specialize in one thing, you have, you know, so many more, um, uh, people in your field and in your area that you're competing with. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why I try to focus on offering so many different types of items because I'm not boxing into just one um, area. You know, I don't do just custom treats. I don't do just custom cakes. You know, I have so many different avenues I can go down um, to generate business. Um, sometimes it it is a hindrance because, you know, when you're offering so many items, you have to be able to, you you know, you want to be able to specialize in all those items um but it helps me because I'm not boxing to just one category um but I do see that it definitely can hurt some people that only specialize in that one thing you know they only do treats or they only do cakes they you know yeah. you understand what I'm saying yeah
1: no because the market
2: is definitely oversaturated at this point
0: definitely agree with that definitely agree with that now, this is a personal question for me, and it may come off as random, but I got to ask you, mm-hmm. is Nashville hot chicken underrated or overrated? I just want your thoughts. <laughs> um, I,
2: I think that it is underrated. Um, mm-hmm. And I say that because I have been, I was exposed to it when I was in high school, mm-hmm. um, and that was many, many moons ago. We're coming on our 20th year uh, this summer, so... I we really you didn't see Nashville hot chicken globally well nationally until about maybe 5 or 6 years ago. But it was something that was huge here in the city. But for a long time there was only one place you could get it from, which is the original Prince's hot chicken. Um and then all of a sudden you start seeing hot chicken shacks and hot chicken places pop up literally everywhere. And at first, I, I say probably about 10 years ago. Um, first, the first hot chicken places we were seeing was just basically buffalo chicken. Um, because there's a whole process that you do that's different from any other type of seasoned chicken that you see out there. And it wasn't until the recipe got out there that you start actually seeing authentic hot chicken throughout the city. Um, here in the city, um, it's a little bit overdone um, because that's what everybody comes to Nashville for. So it's on most restaurants, many. Um, but on the national level, I do think that it's underrated because um, it took so long for it to, to come onto the scene, if that makes any sense.
0: No, that does make sense. And I didn't know about Nashville hot chicken myself personally until about, I'd say, a year or so ago. And mm-hmm. the only exposure I had to national hot chicken was Hattie B's chicken in Vegas. And this is actually uh, the first time I'm hearing about princess yeah. chicken and National's actually on my bucket list for travel within the next year. So that's definitely going to be a spot that I go to.
2: I always tell people, I mean, most hospice people in hospitality will recommend Hattie B's.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I I'm hesitant to say, it, but I'm not really a fan. Um, I like the story behind Princess Hot Chicken. Um, I am all about the history and the story and, and the impact that it's made on this on on that particular city. Like if I go to a city, I want the original. So that's why I always send people to Princess. Plus, it's much hotter. <laughs> I, yeah, I it's spices. probably the hottest in the city.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely like it spicy. So I'm gonna definitely have to check Princess out for sure, for sure.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, it seems like you can cook just about anything, but is there anything that you've been curious in trying to make? Like is there something that you've never done before but you're dying to try out? Hmm,
2: that's a tough question. Only because like I I I have someone that challenges me. <laughs> so if we go out and we have something, he's like, Yeah, you can you can make that and then next thing I know, I'm in in the kitchen making it. Um I would say the 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 thing that I really want to master is making croissants, um, but that is a, I've tried it a couple times. I did it in school, of course, and um, during the pandemic, I tried it a couple times, and it's just a process, so I've made them before, uh, but I haven't mastered them, so I would say probably croissants. Well, I've tried to
0: make croissants before, and it's didn't come out well, and I haven't tried it again. I, it's it's a, it's a tedious process, and it takes days oh, to goodness. get it done.
2: <laughs> it, it's a lot of work to put them in the oven, and then they not turn out right. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's that's definitely something that I would like to master.
0: Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully one day we get to see you make croissants. Uh, if you ship them out, just let me know. I would more than happy to buy them. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to give it a try again. I have to boost my confidence again because the last go-round was, it was not pretty.
0: <laughs> well, one day, one day. Yeah, for sure. Um, Any advice for up-and-coming chefs?
2: Um, I would say the best advice I can give is be authentic as possible. So whatever it is that you're trying to offer, Make sure it is, it's authentic. So if you, if you say that you're going to, um, offer, um, uh, Tex-Mex, make sure you do your research. Make sure you have the right ingredients, fresh ingredients. Um, don't skimp on your ingredients. Um, do the research. Um, it's one thing to offer something that you just put together. It's another thing to put that time and effort and research and make sure that your ingredients are quality ingredients, uh, it makes a difference. Um, Whatever you're offering, make sure you can tell a story behind it. Um, People are sticklers for knowing the story and the history behind um, a product that you're selling. Um, You know, most of the items that that I have that I offer, I can tell a story. I had, there's a background as to how these things come, came about. My, my savory cupcakes, for example, I have a whole story about how each one of those were developed. Um, same thing, you know, a lot of my, 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 my desserts and even some of my adult desserts, um, my cannabis desserts, I, I can tell the story on how I got to the point of making those items. So make sure that whatever you, offer you can tell a story behind it and you have you know have something to share with your audience but also fresh ingredients quality ingredients don't skip on the 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 research on those items um don't don't um i'm sorry i kind of lost my train of thought don't practice on your customers um and i think that's probably the best advice i can give a up-and-coming chef do not practice on your customers. If there's something that you don't know how to do, be honest with your customers and tell them that upfront. Um, and offer something, an alternative, or practice it on your own time, but don't practice it on your customers.
1: Well said. I, mean, I know that was
2: a, a mouthful. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. Like, we need to hear things like this, especially from someone who's been in the game for quite some time. Like, even as someone like myself, who's trying to grow as a chef, like I really appreciate the advice. And, you know, I like to echo those sentiments about, you know, having a story behind what you're making, because when you have a story behind what you're cooking or you're preparing, people can definitely tell in the end result, like Mm -hmm. with the presentation, with the taste, with just how you prepare it. Like, even if you just put a cake in like a regular box or like you decorated a specific way, People can tell, you know, the story behind that. So, you know, thank you so much for those words. That really means a lot for me and my audience.
1: Awesome.
0: Now, I like to play a little game with, you know, the people that I'm interviewing. It's going to be called This or That or Five Questions. So since you're the first guest, we're going to do This or That Food Edition. I'm going to give you two uh, items and you're going to let me know which you would prefer out of both of those items.
2: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right, so first off, fried chicken or barbecue chicken?
2: Fried chicken, of course.
0: Good answer, good answer. (laughs) Potato salad or macaroni salad?
2: Oh, potato salad. I don't know where this thing with macaroni salad came from, but yeah, that needs to go in the trash.
0: Hold on. Well, before we continue the game, I need to know what should be for macaroni salad because it's not that bad.
2: It's not that good either. (laughs)
0: I ain't gonna argue, with you. I'm not gonna argue.
2: <laughs> uh, Macaroni—I mean, macaroni should have cheese sauce and and cream and and you know all the great things that comes with macaroni and cheese, not may- mayonnaise and eggs and sour uh whatever else you put in. It. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan of macaroni salad.
0: I'm not gonna lose my black card in arguing with you, so you're right. <laughs> we we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> now this may be a tough one cornbread or biscuits
2: um i would say probably recently cornbread but i just started i just started eating cornbread like five years ago i know that's people gonna plush their pearls being a uh, southern girl but yeah uh biscuits are if they're not made right they yeah
0: now now side note what kind of biscuits do you prefer
2: um i make a pretty good blueberry biscuit um Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest it's rare that i eat biscuits out um most most often they're just not up to par so i typically if i do get a taste for biscuits i make my own
0: yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I feel like most places that make biscuits either have them too dry, they don't taste buttery enough, or they're mm-hmm. like overly salty, which I don't get how you can overly salt a biscuit, but yeah, there's nothing that beats that homemade taste.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm.
0: Macaroni and cheese, and let me reiterate, not the stuff that comes in a box, the baked one with the burnt ends or oh, candy hams. Yeah, Macaroni and
2: cheese, for sure.
0: And lastly, banana pudding or peach cobbler?
1: Um,
2: probably banana pudding.
1: I was almost about to take your black card there for a second.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I that's not neither one of those are my favorites, but I would probably eat banana pudding over
0: peach cobbler. Now what would you say is your favorite dessert?
2: Oh, that's a hard one. Um just because i i make so many desserts i don't really have much of a taste for them um i've been on this pound cake kick though recently
1: Mm, um yes
2: but yeah my go-to is probably sweet potato pie that's probably yeah that's probably top for me
1: okay okay well, um,
0: Miss Adams, it was definitely a pleasure having this conversation with you, and I really want to thank you for being my first guest on the Cast Iron Podcast. I mean, pleasure. thank you so much, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I truly hope that one day we get to see you with your own cooking show, your own branded cookbooks. Like I genuinely believe that genuinely believe that one day some little girl is going to look up to you and your cooking and say that's going to be me when I grow up. I really oh, believe. Oh wow, you. that's that's
2: so awesome. You're and you welcome. say that and I'm thinking of my my little person that follows me around the kitchen all the time. So that that really means a lot that you say that. So hopefully I can inspire more than, you know, the people in my in my home, but definitely I'm definitely doing it for her. So that means a lot.
0: No doubt. And I really do believe that she'll inspire more people someday and that you'll have your own brand and television cookbooks like you name it like the world is yours and i really do believe in everything that you do and wish you the best of luck in your career
2: thank you so much and you as well i mean the things that you're doing and and the fact that you're just getting started is is phenomenal um thank you I, I mean from your um sponsorships to your podcasts and just all of your cooking videos i, I just think that it's really amazing um how much you've done in just such a short period of time, so um don't take it lightly. People are looking at you as well i'm I'm watching you um as well as other chefs, so you you definitely deserve a pat on the back as well.
0: Thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate that. Do you have any final words for our viewers? well listeners rather
2: um no not not really I just you know. I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, I hope that um, some of the things that I share today will inspire someone or help someone. And, um, you know, I am always willing to help. So if someone hears this and they, you know, want about something, an idea or have a question for me, I hope that they, you know, they don't hesitate to reach out because I'm always happy to help. And um, that's definitely one of my um one of the things that I really value about myself is just that willingness to help the next person
0: well said and she is definitely a woman of a word reach out to her for any help any advice you may need she's always available well not always available because you know some people want to relax and don't want you bother them all the time but yeah <laughs> if, you, if you have any help with your cooking or any type of culinary tips reach out to miss jessica adams And again, folks, this is it for this episode of the Cast Iron Podcast. Um, Once again, thanks to Chef Jessica Adams for joining me in today's episode. Please, please, please go check out her page, beyonddessertscatering.com. The link will be provided in the description of this podcast. And be sure to check her out on Instagram, beyond underscore desserts underscore catering. And I'll go ahead and provide a link to that in the description as well. For all of us here at the Cast Iron Podcast, I'm Chef Pat Lee and we out.